Welcome back for another week of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Had a pretty big uh, weekend of boxing uh, that we're going to discuss. But before we even get to that, we've been making a lot of predictions lately. Danny, do you got those numbers? You want to share those numbers uh, with the public as far as how we've been doing as far as our predictions? So as it stands now, if we're counting the the playoff NFL playoff predictions, uh, right now, will you 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 had the most points with four, and uh, me and Vel we had a, we tied with three points, so still pretty close there early in the year, you know. I think it's, I'm, I'm running away with it. You know what I'm saying? You know, like these fellas trying to get that second place. You know what I mean? But you know what they say. Second place is always the first loser, you know what I'm saying? But shout out to y'all, fellas. We, we now, was, uh, <laughs> what you gonna say? <laughs> no, nah, what I was gonna say, it, it doesn't look like we've been doing pretty, you know, that well when it comes to our football predictions. You know what I'm saying? We've been kind of up in the air when it comes to that. So let me ask you this question, and this don't have to be on record, but as far as the NBA, like right now. Who would your prediction be right now in terms of who would make it to the championship out of the, you know, both sides, the, the West and the East? The East is a little bit tough to call. I'm, I'm going to say with the West, as of right now, I think that the Warriors are poised to get it together um, more so than any team. The Suns look good, but when Draymond comes back, I forget the status of Wiseman, but right now, as it stands right now, they have three essentially all-star caliber players. And I think it's it's going to come down to them being able to outgun the Suns. It's not going to be enough. You know what I mean? And so as a, on the West, I'm picking the Warriors right now. And then the East, I think that if healthy, if I have to choose like right now, the Heat would be the most dangerous team because, you know, the, the Nets are obviously up there, too, but, you know, they got a part-time superstar, you know? And so if they don't have a whole court advantage, that superstar is not going to be there for four of those games if it goes to a seven-game series. So I'm going to go Heat and Warriors if I have to right now. Uh, For the West, yeah, like Danny, I think even though Suns is pretty much, you know, looking unstoppable they were going at the, the winning streak i think the warriors is just so experienced and poised i think it's, it's, it's they got too many gunners they're gonna be too much for the uh the suns um and, and it's sad because you i mean chris paul is probably gonna go through the same thing he went through last year so uh yeah so i i, I think the warriors for me is a lock for the west on the east uh yeah it is tricky but i do think you know, you have some good teams like, you know, of course, the Heat, you got Chicago and, and you have uh, uh, the Nets, you know, that, that are, you know, at the top. Um, I'm going to win and, and go with Chicago making it to the final. So it'll be Chicago and uh, and the Warriors when the war and the Warriors will take it this year. So for me, I'm going to go in the other direction. I think that the Suns, I think they got all bases covered. They got, you know, the superstars, you know, my man, man, Booker, you know, Chris Paul, I think he's putting a battery in his back and he's, he's helping him and propelling him to that superstar 
and and having that belief in himself that he's like the best player on the court, you know, each and every time out. And they got the role players too, you know, and it's just that Will Oil machine. They got every base cover, nice big man, you know what I mean? Um, the three-point shooters. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm rolling with them in, in terms of them making it to the championship once again. And I look at it like this. I think it's going to be a rematch between them and the Milwaukee Bucks because on the, on the East, with them, they just that team who has been together, you know, the longest. So they got that continuity. They got that chemistry. And they got the best player in the league. And a lot of people still sleep on you know we we had a year where they won the championship and a lot of times you look and you see on like the national um sports networks they still not showing the bucks that respect the only thing with them is that lopez is hurt and i don't think he's coming back this year finding that other big man is going to be key and they signed my main man from detroit um monroe but you know he's a little longer too but if they can seal the deal and get them another big guy so Giannis doesn't have to do all of that dirty work, then I think it's going to be a lot. And like you said, with the Nets, I think they're the most talented team. But at the same time, you got like some dissension there. You know what I mean? You got my main man, um, uh, the beard. He don't even look like he really want to be a part of the team anymore. And he looked like he about 10 to 15 pounds, a little chunky. You know what I mean? And my main man, Durant, he stay hurt. And then, like you say, you got the part-time player and Kyrie. So they don't just, they, they, they're not solid enough and they're not um, consistent enough for me in order to put them in that top slot. So I got the Bucks versus the Suns and we'll see how it goes. Well, let's go ahead and talk this boxing, man. I think uh, we had the long anticipated comeback of Keith one-time Thurman. He was going against Mario Barrios last night in Las Vegas. What you think about one time's performance yesterday, Bill? Yeah, I was I was actually impressed with his performance. Um, if you heard uh, my prior prediction, I did predict him to win, but I thought it would be very close or even, you know, uh, close enough where people would think Barrios had won. Uh, but coming in this fight, I, I thought Keith, Keith Thurman would be a little bit um, – you know, rusty. I thought the the time off would and would, would harm him a little bit, and, and and I had questions about him. You know, getting down to one forty seven. Looking at him, he he made weight. He came in uh, at one forty five at the weigh in. Uh, of course, he put on that 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 fight weight, and he looked very solid. I mean, he looked in shape. I mean, he looked ripped and ready to go. Um, and of course, Barrios, he did look better at one forty seven than he did at one forty. Uh, from a physical standpoint um but i was impressed that thurman you know he came out he was uh sharp he came out early trying to you know hurt barrios and and one interesting thing normally you know keith moves a lot but for, for the first half of this fight he kind of stood in front of barrios a lot i mean he was using some side to side movement but it wasn't he wasn't really over moving at first and he was stopped right in the middle and standing right in front of barrios and was shooting some shots at him you know, he had, of course, he uh, has an underrated uh, IQ. And I always say that, yeah, Thurman's uh, IQ is underrated because even uh, I listen to, to Thurman's, you know, interviews, especially when he's describing other fighters. Um, 
he's very articulate when it comes to seeing what other fighters do and, and describing what he can do. Um, and even fighters, even with more IQ than him, can't really, what I know is they can't really articulate what they do or what other fighters do. Uh, Thurman is very articulate. And, I, and when I hear him talk, he does have uh, a respectable IQ. I'm not going to say he has the highest IQ or anything like that, but he has respectable boxing IQ. And it was kind of on display where he was pretty much uh, outboxing Barrios and, and throwing some hard right hand shots, you know, to, you know, through the middle and, and was stunning Barrios quite a few times. Uh, I, did, he, I think he stunned him in the, in the third round. But one of the things I, I didn't like about his performance was he, he let Barrios off the hook a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if that was him preserving his stamina or because because a lot of times he wouldn't really go for it when he would like buzz Barrios a lot. He, would, he was playing it a little too patient. Uh, but then around, the, I think it was either the, the, the ninth round, I think, uh, Thurman hurt Berrios and, and, and it looked like, you know, he was going to, you know, go to work, but then Berrios responded with his body shot that made Thurman pretty much breath and, you know, pop the, the mouthpiece out of his, his mouth. Uh, and, and, and after that, I think Berrios was kind of, you know, trying to get back in the fight in the next few rounds, but I think, I think Thurman did respond well, of course he did what he always does and, and move, but I still think he was landing, you know, the harder shots and he was still a little more active than Berrios, even though Berrios was, you know, trying to get himself back in. So uh, I think I scored this fight about um, 118 and 110 or maybe 117 and 111. But, you know, I like Thurman's performance. Uh, I would have liked it more if he kind of tried to go for the stoppage because, I mean, he at certain points he was busting Mario's, Mario uh, Berrios up. And he did, I think he did break his nose because his nose, Barrio's nose was looking like it was, you know, crooked at the end of the fight. Um, but, it, you know, it was, it was a good win back, first fight back within, especially if you consider that he's coming off a two and a half year layoff, I thought it was a good performance. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty solid victory uh, for Keith one time Thurman in this fight against Mario Barrios. Um, as a matter of fact, I haven't seen Keith looked that complete since maybe it's been a long time because even some of the wins that he's had, like I was going to say Danny Garcia, but then he started looking a little tired and gassed after about round six when he built up that big lead. And I was going to say, well, maybe Sean Porter. I thought that he fought, you know, pretty solid throughout the whole fight. But I think a lot of had to do with the opponent that he was facing too. But again, I wasn't, he was able to fight, you know, pretty much at full speed for all 12. Um, you know, Keith, early in the fight, I, I saw him being like left hand dominant. Like he was trying to catch Barrios with the left hook. Maybe it was something that he saw, you know, when he was like studying Barrios that he was susceptible to a left because like rounds one through maybe four, that's what he was trying to line him up with. And he was connecting, you know, quite often with that shot. He hurt Barrios a little bit um, with that punch. And then like towards the middle of the fight, maybe five through um, nine or something like that, he was becoming more right-hand dominant. And he hurt Barrios, you know, with some big right hands and then Barrios on the other end 
I was impressed with him, you know, he always shows heart and guts. You know, that's one thing that you can't take away from him. But, you know, for him to go through the fight, being stunned, being hurt, and still fighting, um, you know, with all of that, that, that goal and heart, and actually winning probably maybe three or four rounds against Keith, you know, I thought that was impressive on his, his end. Now, you can't help, I mean, it's obviously Keith won a fight, you know what I mean? When you look at the punch stats, he landed more, he landed 181 shots to Barrios 105. He threw more 665 to Barrios 492. He landed at a higher percentage, 27% to 21%, and then he landed more jabs. He doubled him up with 46 jabs landed to Barrios 23. So all around good win for Keith. Some of the things that is going to be of concern, I just think that him fluctuating like that. He talks about that he was like around 180 and then 170 and stuff like that before camp. And the fact that he's dropped all the way down to 145 for this fight, that's going to deplete some of his strength. You know, and can he continue to do this? You know, he's 32 years old. Um, I just think against some of those other guys, like a Spence, like against Crawford and people like that, gonna, um, I think Spence will just go to that body and, and, and punish him that way and get him out of there and stop him. And then Crawford, he's going to be able to just, however it is, whatever Crawford see fit, he definitely will go to the body, but there's some other ways that Crawford could, could take him out. But I think he put himself in a position where, you know, he could, you know, get the winner of the Lugas Spence fight. And Crawford is, I, I would say, probably just licking his chops. Like, I, I want Keith, I want that name on my resume. So from that standpoint, he did himself a favor of being able to put himself in a position to fight one of those guys, get another payday, and possibly, you know, in boxing, you know, it all it takes is that one fight, and he might be able to still a victory against one of those guys. But I would definitely favor them against this version of Keith Thurman. And I don't think we can call him one time anymore. I think we can call him Keith once upon a time when it comes to his power. Yeah, you guys did a pretty good job of covering the fight. There's no need to really touch on that. Um, I will say, though, that the fight, in my opinion, showed us who both fighters are at this stage. Um, I think Barrios, as he was at 140, uh, he is a secondary world champion. Like, I got a ton of respect for the guy. He's 26. He's been in some wars. He has a ton of heart. Um, but, you know, he's going to beat those guys in the middle of the pack. And he's going to look game against the elites, but he is not like a world champion. Like he, you know, the, the highest he got is that secondary belt. And I'm afraid that at this point, you know, based on the weights that he can make, I don't think that he's going to, he has some a chance to grow, of course, but I don't think he has a, I don't, I'm not sure if he's going to ever become a world champion. Um, he looked like he could still fill into 147 a little bit more, but I don't think filling into his weight is his issue. It's just that when he steps up, again, he he can learn and can improve, but when he steps up, he looks a little one-dimensional. And I would say that, you know, Keith Thurman is who he was before the injuries for the most part. Um, to your point, Will, I don't think he's going to beat the fighters he couldn't beat back then, and I don't think he's going to lose to the guys that couldn't beat him back then. Um, like, you know, if we were to give a quick ranking of him, of like the watchweight division right now, based on his performance, I would rank him probably fifth 
Um, that said, you know, this was a WBC eliminator. Errol Spence Jr. is a WBC champion, but it's looking like he's going to unify with Ugas. It's reasonable to think that he's in line for either Spence directly or the winner of Spence Ugas. Uh, but, you know, he expressed that he just wants a belt, like he wants a title fight. Um, in a perfect world, I think I would love to see him fight Bud and then Spence fight Ugas and the winner fights each other. That would be a dream scenario for the welterweight division in 2022. But, um, you know, he did look impressive in his first fight back. Um, and, you know, respect to both fighters. You guys have anything else for this one? Yeah, I think um, Thurman's going to fight Bud. That's going to be the next fight. I think the only only way that doesn't happen is if Thurman says no to it. Because I think PBC is going to use Thurman again to entice but to make to you know do a one contract a, a one-off i don't know how that's gonna go i mean i'm not a businessman but i think that's kind of what's gonna happen by the end of the year you can just call this uh channel uh vbn which they'll be knowing that work yeah i think that that's what crawford wants he wants the thermo fight because that's what's been on his like tongue lately, you know what I'm saying? Like that's who he's been praising. And he was saying that really Keith is the guy, you know, to beat in the world's weight division. The only problem with that fight being made is where is Crawford going to be in order to make the fight? Is he signing with somebody? Is he a free agent? You know, gonna continue to be a free agent. That's the only barrier. And then the other barrier was two. The other thing is Keith is going to demand a certain amount of money in order to make the fight because he mentioned a number in the past. And if he's sticking to that number, then will that fight necessarily take place? So that's the only thing. My question was this, is where do you, so I heard you say, Danny, that you have um, number and that will be behind who? And my part two of that question is, do you think what you saw yesterday, how do you think he would fare against those young guns like uh, Bruce Dennis or Virgil Ortiz? Um, I have him behind the champs and boots. You know what I mean? So to be clear, Spence, Ugas, Bud, and Boots. And I think that Boots will give him a lot of a lot of trouble. Um, I think that his power is just gonna be a lot for him. And I think Boots just has enough wrinkles in his game to to either just beat. Thurman outright or to stop him at this point and I think that uh Virgil is going to give I think Virgil will be a very good matchup for him too I don't think that that's a matchup I would take if I'm Thurman because if I'm 33 years old and pretty established in the division then like I'm not going to be the one to take that risk against a young Virgil or a young Boots but I think that that Virgil one is going to be the closest to a 50-50 fight I think Ugas would be a, a very close one too but I think I think Ugas is smart enough to do what he needs to do to, to get the win. But at the same time, it could be one of those things where with Ugas is he might win like kind of like the, the popular vote, but the judges might give Thurman a card. So that's kind of what I think. But based on my eye test, I would still put him behind Ugas. Um, yeah, the way I look at it, I, I look at it very similarly. I don't think that he's going to be able to beat the top dogs as far as Spence and Crawford um, because they just two different animals but it, they just possess certain things that will just 
give him fits, you know, and it would be too difficult to overcome those two guys. Now, I would favor Boots over Thurman, but I wouldn't be surprised if Thurman was able to defeat Boots because, for one, Boots is experienced against high-level opposition, and Thurman still that 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 hook man that, that left hook be whistling by dudes or be catching guys and i don't know now boost is shown to have a good chin so far but if you get tapped on that chin enough and you get hit in the right spot i don't know you know what i'm saying and, and keith thurman i think that he does still pop and have enough pop to um deliver some shots that on, when he's on his A game, you know what I mean? Like that, that's what I would be concerned with him facing Boots. I don't, I like his chances against Boots, although it could be the other way around. Boots could just demolish him because he just got so much stuff that he brings to the table. But also with Boots, I don't know how fair as the fight, you know, goes on and on. But that's the same problem Keith has. <laughs> like the more the fight goes on, it's like he kind of fades a little bit too. So that'll be an interesting, um, fight there and then Virgil Ortiz I think that that's a bad matchup for Keith because he's not going to stop he's just going to keep coming keep coming keep coming he's going to be landing those hard brutal shots now he could touch up Virgil a little bit early but once it, it gets to like six, eight, nine, ten, that boy just don't stop so right. I, I think that he would um, he would have a better shot against Boots although he also would have a better shot at getting knocked the F out against Boots too right so yeah, I think with the young guns, it's a little harder to place them because especially with someone like Books, Books, I mean, when you look at him and you look at how he fights, he has the potential to beat everyone in the Westway division. But because of his experience, we don't know if he can. So because of his lack of experience, I mean, you don't know what would happen if someone puts up a resistance against him. So in essence, even though he has the potential to beat those top guys, he also has the potential to lose all those top guys because we don't know you know, anything, I, we, we don't know enough about him outside of what we've seen against a particular, you know, level of competition. And also from what we hear about, you know, his exploits in the gym. So it is kind of difficult to, to, to place, you know, him. So, so in essence, to your question, I would put, I would still put Keith about number four and put Ennis at five, Ortiz at six. Yeah, I think regardless of how you dice it, I think that this year, you know, obviously the welterweight division has the names, but this year has the potential for stuff to actually, you know, to start actualizing, especially when you look at, you know, the top five, the 10 welterweights now and how it looks so much different than it has in like the last really five, maybe six years with some of these new guys coming up and the old guys retiring or kind of falling off the list. But that said, um, early on this card, that co-main event, we had Leo Santa Cruz return and he fought Keenan Carbajal. I did not see that fight because I was watching that Quadras and Bam fight, but I know you guys saw it. What did you think of that fight? Yeah, you had L. Terramoto, uh, Santa Cruz coming back in that action, as you stated. He was fighting, you know, uh, Keenan Carpenter, who was a tall, um, not necessarily rangy because he kind of fights. He doesn't use his height when he fights. And um, I thought that 
Leo Santa Cruz, it was a good comeback fight. You know, um, to me, it's really nothing too much to discuss when it comes to this one because each round was pretty much the same thing. You had the volume puncher in Santa Cruz, you know, landed some nice combinations. The only thing that, you know, for him that you can look at, and it wasn't his fault, was the fact that, you know, the, the, the head butts. You know, Leo always seems to deal with certain, some type of adversity. And in this situation, he had to overcome head butts. One of the head butts um, kind of left, uh, um, it was underneath his left eye, and then the other one was on his right eyelid. But outside of that, each round, uh, Leo Santa Cruz, you know, did his thing. It was, like I said, it was a good comeback fight for him. He never really hurt uh, Carbajal, but, you know, like I said, he's a volume puncher, so he was just touching him up. When you look at the punch stats, he landed 250 punches to Carbajal's 139, you know, throwing a lot more shots. He um, threw 796 punches to Carbajal's 566. He landed a higher percentage, 31% to Carbajal's 25%, and he all jabbed him 23 to 3. So, like I said, it really wasn't too much to discuss in terms of the fight because if you saw round one, you saw round 10. And, you know, each judge gave Leo the nod. It was 100 to 90 on all three scorecards. This was a fight at 130 pounds for Leo. You know, like I said, his comeback fight. But he still remains the champion at 126. The crazy thing is that he hasn't defended that title at 126 since February 2019. Another crazy thing is this, is that, see, I, I like Leo because he's always in there, you know, scrapping and, you know, getting it all that he has. And he'll surprise you every now and then to take on a challenge of somebody like a Tank Davis. But at the same time, when you look throughout his career, there's certain guys that he's avoided you know, just outright, flat out. He didn't want to fight Rigo. You know what I'm saying? He was asked for $3 million when that was unheard of for the lower weight class fighters. And he wasn't going to get that to face anybody else. So why would you put such a number up there against Rigo? And then he didn't want to fight Gary Russell Jr. All of those years. But he was willing to fight, you know, guys like Frampton and um, some of the other guys that he faced. And so that's the only black eye when I think about his career because he shows tremendous amounts of heart but at the same time that just you know that doesn't sit well with me and then you add in this where he's saying now he wants to go back to 126 to face um the guy who just defeated Gary Russell and so come on man come on Leo like that's the only thing that that you know, bothers me about Leo's career, but he's tough as nails once he gets in the ring with the guys he gets in the ring with, and he shows tremendous about him on the heart. But as far as last night, you know, good, solid comeback, not just a comeback fight in terms of, you know, losing to Tank Davis, you know, by a brutal knockout, and get the cobwebs off, you know, got the rounds in, you know, so we'll see what he does moving forward. You guys have anything on that fight? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was able to check that fight out. Uh, yeah, like you said, Leo basically did what he wanted to do rounds one through ten, you know. He had a tall guy in front of him, Carbajal, who wouldn't fight tall. He wouldn't use the size because really Carbajal looked like he should be at lightweight and Santa Cruz really looked like he should be at featherweight. So, so you, the, the size disparity was, was, was very visible. 
But, you know, Carvajal pretty much stood right in front of Leo with his hands, you know, up. And Leo was just, you know, throwing shots to the body, throwing shots around him. And that's and Leo was out jabbing him. It, it was interesting seeing, uh, uh, you know, a shorter guy, basically, you know, he'll wait for uh, Carvajal to step in the range and start hitting him with the jab, or Leo would go into range with his jab and start tagging him with the jab. And that was one thing, interesting thing I was impressed with, with Santa Cruz, with that, how he was utilizing his jab against someone who was tall. I don't think, I'm not sure if Carvajal had, you know, a longer reach per se. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but he never really used any of that anyway. So he just basically stood in front of him, you know, and, and, and allowed uh, the smaller guy to pressure him at points and, you know, and throw these shots through the guards and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, it was a good win. It was good to see uh, Santa Cruz. Uh, uh, back after a brutal knockout because though, though the type of loss against you know Tank Davis and even Barrios, the type of loss against Tank Davis that those guys took, which was you know, especially in Santa Cruz's case, a, a brutal knockout loss, you know, they, they they need a fight back to you know rebuild confidence and stuff like that. So, you know, it was good to see him smiling and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, good win. So moving right along, it was a, a, a another fight. Uh, it wasn't the fight that was really happening, but you know we did get a good fight at uh, super flyweight. We had Carlos Cadras against uh, Jesse Bam Rodriguez. Did y'all uh, see that fight? Did y'all check it out? I did. So as you alluded to, um, Sora Rungvazai fell ill on Monday, and so. Bam, who was scheduled to fight on that card, moved up two weight classes for 108 to take this title fight. And Quadras is now 39-5-1 with 27 knockouts. Bam is now 15-0 with 10 knockouts. And I don't know what it was, and I didn't say this in the group chat, but it was something about him taking that fight that made me think, like, this might be this guy's coming out party here. Um, so round one, you know, Quadras came in as the aggressor, obviously the biggest, bigger guy. Um, but Bam was taking shots pretty well. Defense was he, – he was catching a lot with his defense, and he definitely like he belonged. And Quadras landed the more quality shots. And I'm not going to do all the rounds, but uh, I thought that Bam took round two. Uh, he was working angles and using head movements, landing some impactful shots straight down the middle. And round two and round three kind of set the tone of the fight to me. Uh, round three, Bam, he did a step around, and he caught Quadras with a beautiful uppercut off an angle that, that put him down. Um, I actually had that round 9-9 nine, because nine, um, I thought that Quadras came back and won that round. Um, and the rest of the fight was pretty much um, very action-packed, but the, the trend was whenever Bam stood in front of him and fought inside or just stood in front of him long enough, the trade, um, Quadras was just coming forward that whole fight. And so um, Quadras was just landing more and Bam was more susceptible. But when Bam was using his head movements, staying off center and working angles, Quadras didn't have much of an answer for that. And, you know, some of the cards, you know, those, those rounds from pretty much from six to 12, um, it depends on what you wanted to score, you know, because Quadras had the activity, but he just wasn't landing a lot. And I wasn't going to give Quadras some rounds just because he was throwing a lot and touching 
like gloves or touching arms when my eyes were telling me that Bam, when he decided to work angles, was just the better looking and the better fighter. He was landing more efficiently. And I personally scored it 116-111 in favor of Rodriguez, uh, who ultimately won by unanimous decision. Uh, the CompuBox had it, uh, Quadras landed 172 out of 944, or 18%. Uh, I mean, he hit some 90, and he had 91 body shots, uh, which was apparent throughout the fight, but Ben was just doing a good, great job of taking those. And Rodriguez, he landed 258 out of 688, or 38%, and he had 58 body shots. And I just don't want to understate what we saw here. You know, we saw a 22-year-old relatively inexperienced prospect who had never fought at 115, never fought past eight rounds. He came in and outclassed a veteran who has fought everybody at that weight class. And I think, like, you know, you guys have been listening long enough, and, and you two know me. Like, I don't really be crowning people, and I'm not crowning him now, but I think that we have a a potential pound for pound guy on our hands. Um, you know, he can make any weight between 108 and 115. And at 115, you have three guys who have either all been or are currently pound for pound guys. You have Estrada, you have Chocolatito. And so if he were to beat one or two of them at some point down the road, I'm not saying like put him against them like right now. Um, but if he were to beat one or two of them, it's hard to see how he wouldn't end up on that list. But in terms of moving forward, he said, um, He's open to opportunities at 115, 112, or 108. And I think he's just going to continue to take those opportunities. But salute to both fighters. Salute to BAM's camp, you know, at Robert Garcia Academy, because they had him ready. They had him ready for the fight he was going to take. And in six days' notice, they had him ready for this huge step up where he won. Did you guys have anything on that? Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it was a very, very, very impressive win for Bam. Um, I didn't know, really know much about him prior to the fight, but what I did gather is when he took the fight on short notice, I was watching um, Robert Garcia speak, and he spoke so confidently about Bam's chances as if he already knew he was going to win the fight. Now, once he was saying that, I'm trying to figure out like how does he or how is he showing so much confidence? But what it is is Robert Garcia used to train Carlos Quadras as well, and so I'm sure he knew what he was seeing in Carlos Quadras and what he had in Bam, and figured that Bam had more than enough to be able to take out um, the older Wiley veteran Carlos Quadras. From my view, um, as I saw the fight. Um, like I said, it's impressive, man. Come up two weight divisions. And Bam is, is such a good little dude. You know, he's just a, a, a natural fighter. You know what I'm saying? And his brother, Joshua Franco, um, I think he holds the championship in a, in, in a weight class, either the same weight class or, or, or somewhere around there. Um, and although they have different last names, they're still blood brothers. I think one, one of them took the mother's name and one of them took the father's last name. But, you know, shout out to them, you know, their family for having two world champions and Bam being the youngest champion in boxing. He just overtook Devin Haney, you know, at 22 years of age. Now, what I saw, I thought Carlos Quadras came out early um, and won round, round two. I had it even. Um, but again, I, this is my first view of the fight. And then, like you said, then he landed that beautiful uppercut um, where he turned 
um, Quadris, and I gave him a 10 8 round for round three. Round four, I gave that to Bam because he was just landing more efficient shots. And then round five, I thought it was even, or they could have went to Carlos Quadras. I just gave it to the champion. You know, it was a, it was a really close round. Um, beautiful bison display by Bam in the six. I gave Ron Sanders. He landed a few big uppercuts. And Bam started in front of Quadras a little bit. And that's when Robert Garcia was like, man, you just can't sit in front of him. You know what I mean? You got to, you know, move a little bit. First round started, I was like, Carlos Quadras starting to show his age a little bit. But being that Wiley veteran and the fact that Bam was standing in front of him, he landed, you know, some pretty good uppercuts and other shots. Round eight, I gave that to Quadris round nine, more smart boxing by, by the kid. You know, he was sticking and moving. And, you know, he was showing some really good ability to punch and dip. You know, that, that's one of the things that I noticed out of BAM. And then round 10, um, I gave that to BAM. I thought Quadris came on late a little bit, but BAM landed more effective punching. Round eight, I get at the BAM. He was using those angles. He was just landing cleaner shots. Round 12, it really didn't even matter at that point because even if Quadras won, that round, I still had it 116, 114. You know, that's the that's being generous to Quadras. But all in all, like you said, the fact that he landed 20% higher um, punch, punch, you know, punch count than his opponent. And then, like I said, just being more accurate. And, you know, the, the kid is, 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 I think the fact that, Quadras at the age that he is, 33 years of age, being in all of those wars, and Rodriguez was considerably smaller. It was just the fact that he was just more spry. You know what I mean? He just had just more energy. He was just a little too pesky for um, Quadras. Quadras was landing some shots on him. You know what I mean? It's just like this stage of his career, he's just got too much spunk right now you know, for Quadras at the stage that he is in this career. And Bam was doing a lot of good body work. You know, he was stepping around. And it was like a power puncher versus like somebody who landed with more precision. And um, the announcers were saying that, that sometimes the power comes from that precision punching. And that's what he was doing a very, very good job of and being so much more accurate than Carlos Quadras. Shout out to the young man. I don't know, you know what I mean? I don't want to crown him too early as far as being like one of those ones in a sport but i do know this i know that he's a natural i know that he's going to be very tough to defeat um i don't know like if he faces somebody like a um sore romicide i would favor him but sore romicide just hit so hard but on the flip side of that bam said he's never been hurt he said he's never been knocked down and amateurs or pros so you know he might be able to take you know what those guys bring but man very good display yesterday by the young man. Showed a lot of good ring IQ angles, being so spry, you know. So the sky's the Jesse uh, Bam Rodriguez. All right, so yesterday in the UK, we had a grudge match between uh, Chris Eubank and Liam Williams. Um, I think that you also checked that one out, Daddy. What you think about Chris Eubank's performance last night? I did. Um, so Eubank is now at, 32 and two with 23 knockouts. Williams is now 23 and four and one with 18 knockouts. This one was pretty cut and dry. Um, Eubank scored knockdowns in the first, second, fourth, and 11th rounds. And the judges scored it 116, 108, 116, 109, and 117, 109 in his favor. Um, 
to me, it was looking like he could have and should have gotten him out of there by the fifth or the sixth, maybe. But after those early knockdowns and taking those rounds, he seemed content doing a lot of showboating and, and kind of losing rounds in the process for the rest of the fight. Um, it was one of those fights that kind of frustrates you as a fan because you see him look brilliant and fight with precision in some spots. You know, we just talked about precision versus power in that previous fight. But then it was like in those middle rounds, several of those middle rounds, and then the last round, like he was content kind of pissing him away just because he was up on the – he felt like he was up on the cards. And he was up on the cards, to be fair, because of those knockdowns. Um, but I thought that he looked good in the spots where he did choose to engage. Um, I thought he was just a class above Williams who has been in some wars. And at the end of the fight, you know, during the interview, Eubank said that because people said that he can't box, he wanted to show another side to his boxing ability. Plus due to the bad blood coming into the fight, he wanted to teach Williams a lesson by punishing him instead of knocking him out. Which to me personally, I feel like if you want to show another side to your boxing ability, I feel like there's a way to do that, but also still win the rounds. Um, but he did what he needed to do to win the fight. And, you know, he had a, a comfortable enough lead in the first half of the fight that you couldn't take it away from him. And so a win is a win. Um, but, you know, as it stands now, he's now 32 years old. Uh, the ring has a ranked seventh in the middleweight division. And moving forward, I think it's time for him to dare to be great. You know, he's ranked number one in the WBA behind the champ Murata. And so, you know, there is a chance because, you know, Murata and Triple G, their unification was canceled at the end of December. Unless that is, you know, reignited and they end up unifying. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Murata or like a McGee or Andre level opponent. Um, the middleweight division is one of those ones where it's like, there's like a lesser welterweight in terms of like, there's less established names. I mean, there obviously you have your Charlo, you have your Triple G, but nobody is actually fighting each other in the middleweight division. And so I'm hoping that we can get some step ups or some unifications to put some life back in that division. You know, Triple G hasn't fought in over a year now. Andre, I could even I've seen his fights, but I couldn't tell you who he who he fought. You know, if you were to ask me right now, and so um, you know, between him and you know. Charlo may may step up as we talked about last week, but um, there's not a whole lot of action in that middleweight division right now. So I'm hoping that uh, he's one of those ones that step up in his opposition. Uh, what do you think, Will? I thought that uh, Chris Eubank looked like a combination of his dad and Ray Jones at certain parts of this fight. You know, just the way he, he positions himself. You know, the way his hands are down a lot, you know, he, Roy Jones has had a huge influence on him, um, you know, being his, his, his trainer, you know, now. And within a fight, like Liam Williams, to me, you know, he got dropped three times early, you know, so that was three, 10, eight rounds. And he got dropped twice by jabs. The first knockdown, I think the third knockdown was with jabs and one of the times he got knocked down with a jab he looked like he was visibly hurt you know and I, I never seen Liam Williams look that shaky and his balance seemed like it was off in the fight I didn't know what was up with it you know what I mean I don't know if it was the jitters I don't know if it's trouble making weight I don't know we're just getting old but he just didn't look right you know and, and Eubank wasn't helping the case you know by landing some of those shots that he was landing on 
Um, and like you said, Williams, he showed a lot of a lot of grit by coming back. I gave him rounds like five through nine or 10, and he was making a comeback, but then he ended up getting dropped again from a punch that may have not really been a knockdown, but they called it a knockdown. So there was no way mathematically he was going to be able to come back unless he had like a huge 12 round or unless he would have knocked out Chris Eubank, who, who has never been knocked out before. Um, uh, it's it just, you know, when you see Chris Eubank fight and you look at his resume, it's just like he fights a lot of regional guys, you know, a lot of UK level opponents. And you, you think to yourself, it's like, when are you going to, you know, fight one of the more world ranked type guys, you know, not just a UK type of opponent or a British level opponent. And so that's just had me scratching my head. And, but based on what I saw and all of the posturing that he does, he's not going to be able to get away with all of that type of stuff against a better level of opponent. And some of the guys that you mentioned, I definitely don't see him having the ability to defeat those guys. Like, I don't, I think Magia would, would stop him. You know, he has a pretty good chin. He, he has really good genetics when it comes to that because his father had, you know, a tremendous chin. But at the same time, I just think that Magia, with his work rate and his power, would eat them up. And you can't just sit up there with your hands down, trying to, you know, um, back straight up. And, you know, that sort of thing against somebody who hits um, with the veracity of a McGee. And I think that he's just not skilled enough to be somebody like Andrade. Andrade, although Andrade is going to move up to 168 uh, from, from what it looks like. You know, so he, he, he wins the grudge match, the UK grudge match. But outside of that, I didn't see anything else that would you know, have any other other 160 pound fighters, you know, up in arms or anything like that. Bill, did you have anything? Did you check it out? No, I didn't. I didn't see it. I'm, I'm gonna check it out. But did did uh, Eubank Jr. did he by any chance do his father's pose? He was doing a lot of poses. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't know what like his father used to do: stand in the middle of the ring and like <laughs> all crunched up. <laughs> he probably uh, did. So where do you think he goes from here? Like, who do you think he should, you know, fight next? I would like to see him try to take on one of those titleists. You know, it's, it's been talks in the past. Remember, he was supposed to fight Triple G, and then somehow, some way, something with the, the contract was, was not right or something like that. I thought he was supposed to get, like, $5 million, you know, for that fight. But then somehow there was a disagreement, and then in comes Kell Brook. You know, just right out the gate like that. So he needs to stuff, man, and hopefully he can get a triple G. You know, hopefully he can get a, a Munguia because we need to see what he really is made of. We know he can beat those those guys that UK level, British level type fighters, but can you beat somebody who's at the world level? You know, and that's what we have yet to be able to see. You know, when it comes to Chris Eubank. Right. And to your point, I, I don't think he beats any of those guys, but it's just time to get those questions answered because, you know, seeing him fighting these fights like this, you know, this was supposed to happen back in like October or something. And, and it's like, you know, when you're at the gym and it's like a 10th grader shooting around and then like a bunch of eighth graders pull up and, you know, they end up playing full court and a 10th grader is like dominating as, as he should. And he's like flexing and posing. And it's like, dude, this is what you're supposed to be doing. It's kind of like that with, with Eubank. It's like, you know, you're doing all this stuff against 
these guys and those disrespect to those guys, but you know, keep that same energy when you fight who you're supposed to be fighting and, and who you're talking yourself up to fight. You know what I mean? So, you know, again, he's number one in the WBA, uh, number one contender, I believe. And so um, hopefully he gets one of those guys. I think his best chance is probably Murata. Um, but even that, I can't confidently say he would win it. So lastly, we had the quote, Clarissa Shields. Uh, she appeared this past weekend and she fought Ima Kozin. Um, I did not see that one either, but Vel, I understand you did. What did you think? So Clarissa Shields, uh, she's coming into this fight um, as a warm-up because uh, he's looking at that super fight between her and Savannah Marshall, which would be one of the most, the biggest uh, women's boxing matches that we've had in, in quite a long time, if not uh, ever. We haven't had uh, many. And I think the fight between uh, Shields and Marshall would take women's boxing to the next level. But before she gets there, she had to go through Emma Cozen. So Clarissa Shields, uh, she came in this fight 11 and zero with uh, two knockouts against uh, Emma Cozen, uh, who was 21 and 0, and with one draw with 11 knockouts. So Clarissa Shields, um, and, and let, me, let me say this, that this fight is one of the biggest reasons why I always advocate for women, women's boxing to have uh, three-minute rounds. Um, because in many of these rounds, if you watch this fight, that, you know, you will see that Christian Shields is on her way to, to hurting Cozen. And probably if, if some of these rounds were three minutes, she probably would have stopped Cozen. Uh, and we've seen this in, in plenty of, of women's fights uh, that happened within the last few months, probably a it was a few last year that I've seen this also. So, you know, the women want it, you know, I mean, they want three minute rounds. I don't see why they shouldn't have it. Uh, people say it's a safety concern, but I think we should let them have it and let them see, and we, we can go from there. And if there are some, some issues that may arise, then we can, you know, we can address it there. But before that, I mean, women have been asking for it. I think they should have it, you know. And I've been an advocate of Carissa Shields. I've been an advocate of women's boxing, if you listen to this podcast. But in this fight, Carissa, she did exactly what she wanted to do. You know, she came in. She had an excellent jab. She did a great job controlling the distance. Uh, she was throwing beautiful combinations to the body, to the head. I mean, her, her full boxing ability was on display. Um, and one of her criticisms, of course, is they say she doesn't have power, but I, I think that's misguided because I think a lot, a lot of that is because of the, you know, the shortening of the women's rounds that they have, um, because she was pretty much, she was putting it on, uh, cozing a lot. Uh, and I think Shields is more of a, you know, she's a boxer, but she's kind of a boxer puncher and she can throw volume when she needs to. Uh, so cozing, you know, what cozing would do, uh, Right after Shields uh, finished the combination, Cozen would try to respond to a counter, but she wouldn't land her counters. It was like a, a counter throw, or it wouldn't really face Shields that much. Uh, and Shields knew this, so she did what she had to do. You could tell that she'd been hanging out with, you know, with Floyd Mayweather a little bit. She had this hybrid, uh, you know, slightly uh, shoulder roll that she had going on. You know, her shoulder was a little propped up a little bit, so I can tell she's trying to, you know, uh, get her swag on. And, you know, she did a good job and, and it, it definitely set the, the, the stage. Um, now, I do want to talk about the, the, the post fight, you know, uh, interview where uh, Savannah Marshall was called up and it was a exchange there that I thought was, you know, 
very interesting. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. I'm not going to repeat what it what was said, but I'll just say you won't be disappointed if you see it. It was one of the best, you know, trash talking I've seen between fighters in a long time. Uh, so check it out. But um, props to Carissa Shields. I mean, I, she she was she been taking a lot of criticism. A lot of people were harping on her when she went to MMA and, and took that loss, and a lot of people were laughing at her. People, you know, I I've seen people call her names and stuff online, and you know, I've always been a, been a, a advocate for her, and, and, and I'll be excited to see her against you know Savannah Marshall, which would be one of those again one of those biggest fights of women's boxing. So you know, great performance. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, as far as the fight was concerned, it wasn't um, much to discuss because Clarissa Shields won pretty much all of the rounds. Again, it's one of those fights, if you saw round one, you pretty much saw all of the rounds with the exception of she almost got Cousin out of there. Um, it was early in the fight, maybe third round, fifth round or something like that, um, but then the, the bell stopped it. I'm the opposite, Vail. I don't, I, I'm cool with the two minute rounds for women's boxing. You know, I think that you got some heavy hitters who can get their opponents out in that two minute time frame. I just don't want to see another Jeanette Zakaris uh, situation. You know, the young lady who ended up, you know, losing her life inside the rings and, and seeing that. And then even a fight that she had before that was even more brutal. And just to avoid that type of thing, I, I definitely am cool with the two two minute rounds. Now, um, like I said, Cozen, you know, just touching on that fight just a little bit with her, with her lack of experience, I thought what she did wrong was she just gave the quote too much respect. And by her giving her too much respect early, that just made it too difficult once she started to get touched up to even like mount like some type of comeback because by that time, Clarissa had it going. So, you know, maybe if she would have started a little bit earlier, she would have had a little bit more of a chance. But even then, she might have put herself in a situation to be taken out, you know, by taking that chance. But it's just it was just such a separation between skills. You know, like you say, Clarissa Shields, she just did so much stuff inside the ring where she has skills that some of the guys, like she do some of the things that certain guys can't do as far as the shoulder roll, her um, just movements and things like that. She's more of a natural, um, and even the things that she's not natural at, she works so hard to perfect her craft that most women are not gonna be anywhere in the ballpark when it comes to dealing with the Clarissa Shields. Now, you mentioned as far as like the post fight, once it was over with, she was sitting there doing her interview, and then Savannah came over there, the power puncher. She politely told Clarissa, you know, you have no power. If you put on a performance like that against me, I'll wipe the floor with you. Clarissa didn't take that too well. She stood up and she said, you can't wipe my underwear, <laughs> you know? And so she said, she came to her, let's get it on. And, you know, they had their back and forth. And I think that in that interview, you had how to match up with go. You, know, you got Savannah who's much more calm and reserved and you got Clarissa Shields who's more you know, animated, um, more dynamic, you know, so it just will make for an interesting matchup. And hopefully we'll have that if Savannah is successful in her next bout, because it is one of the biggest fights, you know, in women's boxing. Now, when you put both of those two fighters together, 
You got Clarissa. She definitely has the resume. She's taken out like top pound for pound caliber type of fighters in her 12 victories. You know, I do think she likes power. You know, I think that that's one thing that she's missing because she tags most of those females and they're not going anywhere. And, you know, she's able to land over and over. And the other thing that she has that most women don't have, like I said, the technique and then also that speed. Like that's the one thing that like most females are not going to be able to deal with at the world's weight, at the middleweight, at the light heavyweight. She's just going to be too fast for them when it comes to Savannah. Now, Savannah Marshall, on the other hand, although she likes the resume in the ring, she's a smooth operator. You know, she also has technique. You see her in the ring, she's relaxed. She's fluid. She's accurate. She has power. She runs fighters into punches and she can knock you silly with both hands. Um, basically, she punches like a bloke, you know? And so that's going to be the interesting dichotomy when you're dealing with Shields versus Marshall is they both bring a set of skills to the table that each fighter hasn't really experienced yet in the, at the professional ranks. So that would be interesting. I'm not going to make a prediction, you know, when it comes to the fight, but I will say this, just like right now, that speed, that speed probably will prevail um, for Clarissa, but I'll have to do a little bit more um, homework, you know, to actually declare who I think will win. But, you know, good win for Clarissa, you know, coming back after like the MMA stuff that she was doing. The last thing I will say is this, moving forward, hopefully she doesn't, you know, take any more MMA fights leading into a Savannah Marshall fight because she's going to have to have all, you know, things to go, you know, when she's going to take on somebody the caliber of a Savannah Marshall. But again, good win for the quote. Look forward to seeing um, these two fight in the future. Yeah, that'll be a great fight. I know it's some uh, history there. I think I can't find this fight anywhere, but I know that Savannah Marshall did beat Clarissa Shields in the amateur and is the only one who has that win. I think that goes into, you know, the, the back and forth banner that we hear. And like I said before, Clarissa has approved every single fight I've seen her in. So I think her improvement will serve her well against Marshall. And I think she had, she wants that blood. She wants that, that win back. So I think it'll be interesting to watch, and especially considering that Savannah Marshall does have, have power. So it'll be interesting. Yes, sir. I think that's it as far as the topics. We got anything else um, that you guys want to touch on before we wrap things up? No, I want to make a football prediction, but but I'm not trying to get it recorded on a spreadsheet. You know, I, I just know boxing, man. I, I'm not both. I don't know all this other stuff. Well, you got one more next week, my brother. You know what I'm saying? We got that Super Bowl between the Rams and Joe Cool and the Bengals. So, but we'll we'll reserve that until next week. So go ahead, do your homework and be able to make your bold prediction for next Monday because, you know, we record before the Super Bowl, but we'll get your prediction, you know, on record that Monday. Yeah, and everyone can can either say he be knowing or that dude don't be knowing <laughs> on Monday when they listen to it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be either one or the other, you know what I'm saying? But on that note, man, you know, we did, we did what we had to do. You know, we touched on those topics, you know, elaborated on the ins and outs when it comes to the sport of boxing, you know, looking forward to some of these fights that potentially can take place. You know, maybe Thurman is going to get the Crawford fight. 
you know, we got the quote and we got Savannah Marshall who uh, could potentially be fighting in the future. So, you know, things are looking good. Things are looking promising when it comes to the sport of boxing. And on that note, hopefully you have a prosperous as well as a promising week moving forward. On that note, peace. Peace.